Join Anthony Esselin, John Warwick Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the Fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, August 16th, 2018. You'll notice that uh, this episode today and yesterday's episode today seem to go together. I'm heading in a direction. And the direction is Phil Johnson tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, those are the only kind there are today, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. <clears throat> yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelicals, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. And in fact, just seems like nobody cares <laughs> that yeah, what's being said doesn't even remotely comport with anything sound, lucid, sane, or even biblical, you know, they, they just, the fact, the crazier it is, the, the the more they like it, it seems. It's a strange day we live in. So we note that, and uh, the, the idea here is to teach you discernment, to teach you proper understanding of God's Word, basics of hermeneutics, sound doctrine, and a little bit of apologetics thrown in, in there for good measure, all in order to protect you and protect your loved ones from those who are deceiving and are deceived themselves. That's kind of the idea. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and we'll kind of mix this with what's coming tomorrow. Now, uh, we just uh, concluded the uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference. It was fantabulous. And unfortunately, our audio, we, uh, we had a, a board, our mixing board, uh, had a major issue, and we were completely unaware that it was having this problem. In fact, we're going to end up having to replace it with a different board. And so as a result of it, our audio is, um, how, how would you say it? It's kaput. It's, it's usable-ish, but it's not really broadcast quality. So what do we do? Oh, we don't panic. We don't worry about things like this. We'll we'll figure it out. But uh, so the, what we're going to do tomorrow is we're going to play 
the lecture that Phil Johnson delivered at the PCR conference last week, but it's not the one he delivered last week. It's the same lecture delivered in a different venue not too long ago. And, and the name of it is Why I'm a Cessationist. Uh, we'll kind of rework the uh, the title uh, for tomorrow's episode, The Biblical Case for Cessationism. Uh, and uh, and it's just rock solid. The best way I can put it, absolutely rock solid, worth passing along and worth you uh, listening with an open Bible and learn the, the biblical case uh, that the the apostolic sign gifts uh, they haven't been in operation in the church for nineteen hundred almost two thousand years. So you know that that just keep that in mind, and and when you understand what cessationism is and how Scripture actually teaches it, yeah, you'll get it. You'll get it. So what we're going to do today in preparation for that is kind of build off of yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, which was I can only describe it as crazy go nuts, uh, because well that's. <laughs> Exactly what it was. It was crazy go nuts, but uh, we got some more crazy go nuts today, and uh, and uh, <laughs> so we're going to start with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Uh, it's been a while since we've checked in with the fire and the glory outpouring, and uh, so we'll be listening to Miranda Nelson uh, from her message delivered on August 9th. So you know, just this is some pretty fresh revelation that we're looking at here. Uh, then we're going to check in with, um, is it Charlie Shamp? Yeah, Charlie Shamp. And uh, he has had a, a dream regarding a harvest angel and stuff. And so we'll, th- we'll throw that one in there. Um, and, you know, Then for good measure, just, just for good measure, uh, you know, somewhere in there we'll throw in Jennifer LeClaire and uh, her latest message about the three... Uh, three dangerous traps that can blind seers. You notice the play on word, you know, seer, somebody you can see. And so you don't want to be, you, you, she, apparently God's raising up a whole new company of seers and, and uh, Jennifer LeClaire is in charge of that whole troop. And, uh, and so she's giving a, an inside scoop, a general's uh, warning, if you would, for all those would be seers out there about three dangerous traps that could blind them so they can't see no more. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, and then to uh, round things out, uh, we'll get to the segment we did not get to yesterday, and that's uh, uh, banning uh, Liebscher from uh, Jesus culture and his uh, Q uh, Q forum speech. Uh, release the supernatural, and you will learn that this guy's theology is completely wackerdoodle. Uh, you know, and uh, this tells you something about the theology that's behind Jesus culture, which you should avoid like the Ebola virus. You know, just saying. So that will be uh, hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to continue where we left off as we listen to Mike Bickle. Uh-huh, Mike Bickle. And, uh, have, you know, basically story time with the late Bob Jones. And you'll note that uh, Mike Bickle is throwing all of his reputation behind Bob Jones in these stories and has been assisting him along the way. I wonder what that should tell you about Mike Bickle and his theology and his soundness. In other words, there isn't any in him. So uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Yesterday and today, all kind of heading towards tomorrow where, you know, 
where the out-of-control train will hit the brick wall of God's Word, as delivered by Phil Johnson. Just saying. So uh, that will <laughs> that's what we're building up towards. It'll be a spectacular crash, by the way. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that collision personally. So uh, with that, let's uh, get into the program proper. And uh, since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, let's do this. Get up right now. Uh, Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So we're heading over to the fire and glory outpouring. Um, they say the glory of God that's outpouring there. Um, I don't even think it's glorious. I mean, this may, in fact, actually be a sewage outpouring. Uh, and it's just nuts. N- none of this has anything to do with what the Scripture says or anything like that. Uh, yeah, let's just put it bluntly. Miranda and her husband, Jeremy, are in the same camp as Patricia King and the NAR and Shayon and folks like that, which means they are not people to be followed. They are people to be avoided. That's the best way that I could put it. So without any further ado, here's Miranda Nelson from what night is this? Night hundred and six hundred and sixty-eight of the fire and the glory outpouring. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Come on. God's good. Amen. Jesus. Woo. Oh, Lord, we just thank you. Okay. Just put your hands out. (laughs) Is she demonically possessed? What is that? We just welcome you. Now, a little bit of a note here. Do a little word search. Self-control. There it is. Let's see. And I want a New Testament on that one. And specifically, I think we're looking for the book of Ephesians. Oh, oh, here it is, Galatians. Galatians 5. Um, And so uh, Galatians 5 gives us, by the way, a list of the fruit of the Spirit and uh, tells us even what the, the the fruit of the flesh is, you know, the the, the passions of the flesh, and uh, how they uh, they are at war with uh, the new man that we are in Christ. But uh, here's what it says: Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of the spirit, get this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and yeah, that would be self-control. Mm-hmm. 
So she kind of Toronto blessing style is apparently manifesting a spirit, but we can tell by the lack of of self control. We're not dealing with the Holy Spirit here. I don't know what that spirit is, but I we can rule out God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit! <laughs> God, just flood this place. <laughs> Oh, Lord, fill every person in this place and watching online, Lord, give him a good... Yeah, no, no, yeah, yes. Oh, those of you watching online with me, we better pray a counter curse, I guess. Is that how you do it? Quick, call somebody from Hogwarts. They know how to do that. And shellacking, whacking the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Phil. So she called the Holy Ghost the shellacking, whacking. Holy Ghost. Let me back that up and see if we can hear that again. Every person in this place and watching online, Lord, give him a good shellacking, whacking of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Fill every one of us up, God, full of your glory, full of your presence, God, full of faith, Jesus. We love you, God. Oh. Yeah, this has nothing to do with biblical Christianity at all. <laughs> Yeah, please go get the men with the white lab coats and she needs a padded cell clearly <laughs> and, and you'll note that nobody in the new testament never did this that's weird yeah <laughs> I never planned this. It just, I don't know. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not the joy of the Lord. And you'll note, you know, to the average sane person who has even just a little bit of, like, biblical literacy, you're immediately asking, is that God that's doing that? Why should I believe that that's God? Answer, you shouldn't. Because this lady also just twists God's word like you wouldn't believe. But this is not a manifestation of the Holy Spirit at all. So God, just get everybody good. Lord, fill them full, overflowing. Oh, get them good, God, so that they can start this. Yeah. Saturate them and... uh just have your way, God. We just we just say have your way in this place tonight, Jesus. Have your way in us, God. I thank you, Lord, for justice being released, God, on people tonight, Father. I thank you, Lord, for breakthrough coming, God. I thank you, Lord, for your kingdom edifice. And, and you'll note that nobody there is falling over or anything like that. So she's sounding a little more sane as she's realizing no one's coming along with her. Because she released the shellac and whacking thing. <sighs> God, I thank you, Lord, for <laughs> for you just getting everybody, Lord, with your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why he does this to me, especially when my message is kind of... Well, it's not the Holy Spirit doing that to you. Um, yeah, maybe the devil's doing that to you in order to deceive other people. Intense. <laughs>
Oh, that's like nails on a chalkboard. Oh, man, my ears are hurting. God, just smear. <laughs> smear oh, everybody. Now, see, look, at it. it's starting to work its way through the crowd now. Uh-huh. With your oil of gladness, God. Oh, smear them, God. Holy God of Yeah, now that's gibberish. That's not actually speaking in tongues. And um, God's word forbids you from speaking in tongues in a church service without an interpreter. She just straight up disobeyed God. But then, of course, her preaching, you know, is also direct defiance of the express, you know, written demands of God the Holy Spirit as to who is uh, should be teaching in church and who shouldn't be. Women are not permitted to do that. <laughs> Smear them with your goodness, God, with your oil. Yeah, let me read that again. Uh, the <clears throat> fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, apparently, uh, night 668 of the so-called fire and glory outpouring involved a lot of lack of self-control. She's now on the ground. Jesus hasn't got anything to do with that lady. Love you, God. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that he's filled with joy more than his companion. So, yeah, and uh, you twist the devil. I mean, sorry, you twist the word. <laughs> there you go. Just like the devil, just right that you did right there. Yeah, proof that you ain't uh, hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Wow. So there you go, uh, these manifestations. If you've attended a church where people are doing this kind of stuff, run. Run. That's not God the Holy Spirit. That may be a spirit behind it, but it's not God the Holy Spirit behind it. You know, it's a demonic spirit. In fact, in the last days, it expressly states that people will follow doctrines of demons. That's exactly what it says in Scripture. And that's what we're seeing in videos like that. Moving along, we're still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update, you know, umbrella. Uh, we're heading over to the YouTube channel of uh, self-styled prophet uh, Charlie Shomp as he is releasing uh, a dream that he had regarding harvest angels who are basically going to be giving you a, an endless supply of uh, resource uh, for for the uh, upcoming harvest. Apparently, they've been given blank checks, and uh, they're releasing them. So, I mean, this is some great news, I, I think. <clears throat> Here's Charlie Shomp. 
I want to talk about this dream that I had on Friday. I had this very vivid dream. And in this dream, I was brought into a room with several other ministers. And in fact, many of them, I knew who they were by name. Some of them even being my friends. And in this dream, this angel, this man walks in, just looked like a man, but everyone in the meeting knew that this particular individual was an angel. The Bible says uh, in, in, when, in Paul's writings that be careful that you do not, uh, you're not entertaining angels unaware. Yeah, the people who entertain angels unaware are those who practice hospitality and caring for those who are down and out and needy. Mm-hmm. That's what Paul was referring to. Not just walking down the street and, oops, I'm accidentally entertaining an angel unaware. No. And oftentimes, even within the context of dreams, we discover that many scriptural places, many contexts of scripture, the the agency in which God used angels to visit men was in the area and the avenue of dreams. This- Do you feel like he's like fishing for things? Like, you know, he doesn't really know his Bible very well. So he's kind of trying to figure out how to word this carefully because he doesn't really know what he's saying. That's what it comes off to me. A little bit of a note here. Jude, who is a half-brother of Jesus, warning us about men like Charlie Champ. Uh, it says this, uh, in like manner, these people um, relying on their dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know you're dealing with a false teacher when they're relying on their dreams. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They blaspheme glory, glorious ones. But when Michael the archangel contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Yeah, woe to them. They uh, walked in the way of Cain. By the way, Cain is kind of like the uh, religious activity with no faith. Yeah, he, he offered a sacrifice, but didn't he actually believe in God? That's the problem. And in fact, Hebrews 11 makes it clear that Cain didn't have faith. And so they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Balaam was a prophet for profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Korah's rebellion is about uh, rejecting God's established offices within his church. That's really what that's about. Yeah, guys like Charlie Shemp, you know, are war- they, we're warned about them in Scripture, Jude in particular, but also Second uh, Peter too, which reads, uh, "False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies and even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false." Words. That's what we're looking at with uh, Charlie Champ here. He's exploiting us with false words because he's greedy. This is a money scheme for him. This is uh, in the life of Joseph when he was called to go down into Egypt. The Lord sent an angel in his dream and spoke to him. So this isn't anything that is 
uh, unfamiliar, but it's very, very... You know, it's weird, because the way you're talking about the Bible, it seems like the Bible's unfamiliar to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, theologically sound that angels will be sent by God into our dreams to direct and help us. Now, yeah, nowhere in Scripture are we told to expect that. Uh huh. Yeah, just because Joseph had a dream doesn't mean God says, "Now I'm going to send angels to into your dreams to direct you." Nope, no passage of Scripture says that. This angel was unique in that he was wearing just blue jeans. He was just wearing blue jeans, white. I did not know that angels wore blue jeans. I had no clue. No clue. T-shirt, leather jacket. He looked like he had just gotten off of a motorcycle. And did he have any tattoos? That's what I would like to know. Oh, just you know, walked in to this meeting that we were having, and as the door closed, everyone became you know very quiet and began to get uh, in attention for what uh, this particular angel was bringing as a message from the Father, and the angel spoke and said, "I've been sent from your Father to bring you." Unlimited supply in financing for the harvest of souls. Yeah, right. Yeah, actually, the reason I think he's saying that is because he's trying to figure out how to get an unlimited supply of finances into his pocket. Uh, yeah, that's what this guy's about. And in this dream, the angel took out a, a book that had in the ledger inside of it a checks. They were, they were checks from the father. Yeah, so so angels actually, God writes. So God has a checkbook. Who knew? This is new information, folks. You need to write this down in the back of your Bible that that apparently there's a heavenly bank, and God actually has a checking account there. Other. And the angel said, so many of you have been thinking small-minded, but the Lord is about to change your mind <clears throat> to the mind of Christ. And you're a Right, so the mind of Christ is the opposite of thinking small-minded. Yeah, no, the theology of this dream is, uh, yeah, definitely wackerdoodle. You know, off the plantation, we've gone to Cuckoo Banana Town here, just saying, if this ain't the Bible. Out to receive a fresh uh, uh, download mm. of the unlimited possibilities of heaven. A fresh download of the unlimited possibilities. You know, an unlimited possibility is not a thing. Um, and in fact, that's kind of nothing. You know, it's just an abstract concept. And so why would God be downloading the abstract concept of an unlimited possibility? And so the angel came up to me mm -hmm. and he took out this, this book and he wrote the check out. And on the check, listen to me, on the check, the check said unlimited finances unlimited finances yeah i if i were to write unlimited finances on a check of mine i don't think anyone could cash that and he wrote out the check signed it yeah from the father took the check whoa 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 
you're saying <laughs> that this angel literally um, ro- signed God's name on the check for him? Isn't that it, that's illegal, right? I mean, if somebody were to sign one of my checks and write my name for me, uh, yeah, they they'd go to prison. And laid it on my head, laid the check right on my forehead and said, the Lord is setting your face like flint for the harvest. All of those. So the Lord set your face like flint with a check that was written and forged by an angel. Because, you know, signing God's name on a check, that's forgery, right? And he put it on your forehead and then set, and because of that, it set your face like flint for the harvest. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, this is why anybody claiming to be a prophet today, probably mandatory drug screening and psych evals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who will not turn to the right or to the left, but will stay focused on souls? The Lord says that I will pour out unlimited resources, unlimited finances for the harvest. And the angel pasted this check across my my head. And he said, the the Lord has given you checks and releasing the balance of his word in your mind so that you'll begin to recognize. What does it mean to release the balance of God's word? In your mind, I'd like to know the cash value, pun intended, of that statement, of that phrase. That there is no limit on what the Father wants to do. And as the angel went around the room, he began to sign these checks and every person received this check. So this angel forged even more checks. We need to find this angel and turn him into the FBI. He, he, you know, I'm sure God is going to send that angel to, you know, hell for forging these checks on their forehead. It, it, it was it stuck to them, and I believe that it's a prophetic sign that the finances are not going to be fleeting. They're not going to slip through your hands, but they're going to stick to because you because he stuck forged checks on people's foreheads. Okay. Like glue. And the Lord is bringing in the mind of Christ for all those that are watching. You, you, you have a dream. You have a vision. You have something that God has called you to do. Mm-hmm. And the Lord wants to release unlimited finances. Somebody- whoa, 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 whoa. Only if that dream or vision is singularly focused and doesn't deviate to the right or the left as it relates to the harvest of souls. In, you know, in the last times, you see, you just change the stipulation of the download and the unlimited finance thingy. Yeah, no, he's not even agreeing with himself. This guy is just a greasy, false prophet slime ball is what we're dealing with here. And uh, this God, the Holy Spirit, has nothing to do with any of this. And if you believe this guy, hey, listen, I have a bridge in New York. Oh, man. If you like Art Deco, man, I'm telling you. This bridge, it actually spans the river from Brooklyn to Manhattan. Oh, man, it's gorgeous. Absolutely. In fact, one of the most photographed bridges in all the world. I could sell it to you for 
really cheap. <clears throat> yeah, I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to be hearing from Jennifer LeClaire and Banning Liebscher. Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Rex here, again. Now I know that all of you have been hearing about the latest fad in the church called an Emmaus walk. Well, you know what I think? It's uber lame. I mean, what's so special about going on a little walk, hoping and praying that Jesus is going to show up and have an enlightenment picnic with you? It's not nearly hardcore enough. I'm starting a new fad. It's called the Road to Damascus Walk. You don't go out trying to find Jesus. He finds you. And after he's found you, he knocks you off your horse, throws you in the mud, blinds you, and then sends you on a harrowing journey to a town that you've never been to in order to find a prophet of God. It's way more awesome than an ant-infested picnic next to a scum-filled pond. Don't believe me? Well, then give it a shot. I dare you. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. 
There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee. And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that guys talking about check-forging angels in their dreams are false prophets and false teachers, because they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along, let's reset here by doing this. So I was having this wedding, and and we had, we, well, we didn't have, we Shabbat. Yeah, that's right. That's Heidi Baker and uh, Shabba. It's nothing to do with God the Holy Spirit, by the way. Anyway, we are heading over to the YouTube channel of uh, Jennifer LeClaire, and uh, she's apparently now started her own troop of seer-anointed prophets, I guess, and she's uh, like a general, you know, out there warning them of three real dangers, you know, that could blind seers. Uh-huh. Here we go. 
Jennifer LeClaire here, Senior Leader of the Awakening House of Prayer, the epicenter for equipping and church life fueled by the Holy Ghost in South Florida. I am. Yeah, you aren't epicenters usually associated with damaging earthquakes? You know, just saying. The founder of the Ignite Prophetic Network. We just. Ignition, by the way, also. Isn't that what arsonists do? Just saying. Launched the company of Sears. I'm so excited. God encountered my heart about this. She launched a company of Sears. Is that a military outfit designed to destroy the church? What is it? Seer mental, the seer anointing, the seer realm in a massive way back last November. I've been pressing into this in Jesus' name. You're going to find in the days ahead. I'm going to be doing. What does it mean you were pressing into it? How does one press into such things? Very special. Uh, broadcast some very special video teachings with some others who operate in high levels of the seer anointing. So I'm going to do some small teachings. We're going to get into some bigger stuff. I want to invite you extending an open invitation to you before we even begin the broadcast today, uh, begin the teaching aspect uh, to join my company of seers. Look, seers. She's recruiting. Now, if I don't want to be recruited into your company of seers, um, do I have to worry about potentially being, you know, forced into it? You, will there be a military draft? Are misunderstood, they're neglected, they're rejected, often befuddled, bemuddled by what they see, don't understand it. Look, I want to help you rise up in your gifts. So we'll talk more about that later. You, you rise up. Isn't that what people do in rebellion? Just, just saying, you know. Company of the Sears available to you. Amen. Ignitenow.org slash company. It's actually ignitenow.org slash Sears. But today I want to talk to you about three dangerous traps that can blind or at least uh, really dim the eyes of Sears. Really dim the eyes of Sears. You know, I taught this, gosh, I'm trying to think when it was, maybe almost two years ago. The come out of the cave message. And I, I pressed this thing hard. And part of my teaching a couple of years ago in that was the spirit of Delilah that comes to poke out the eyes, uh, to blind those who would see, to, to, to strip. <laughs> oh man. R- really? A spirit of Delilah that comes to poke out the eyes of Sears. Ugh. This is such a mangling of God's word. Of uh, your anointing through the realm of the eyes, that, that Delilah spirit that comes to blind the seers. Now, Samson, we don't know that he was a seer per se, but he represented uh, a Nazarite. He was a, a Nazarite. He was one who was pure and holy. And so they, they defiled his eyes in the worst way possible by actually poking them out. He was blind. He was. Yeah, they did more than defile them. They d- destroyed them, you know. Blinded by this Delilah spirit. And I'm telling you, this Delilah... Blinded by a Delilah spirit. Do you just make stuff up and then throw Jesus' name at the back of it? Uh, in Jesus' name. And and everyone just says, oh, I guess it's okay then. Our spirit is targeting seers in this hour. Seers... Oh, no. See, I, this is all the more reason why I wouldn't want to join your company of seers. Because the devil is targeting them with Delilah spirits. Yeah, no, thank you. I'd, I'd rather not. And seeing people, Delilah will set up this, these, these three dangerous traps. There are more than three. I'm just going to talk about the three that the Lord put on my heart today. Three dangerous traps that can either pollute 
the eyes of the seer, dim the vision of the seers and seeing people or, or, or flat out blind you. Now, some of you have been through a season where you were seeing all the time. You were seeing angels. You were seeing demons. You were seeing uh, all sorts of things. In uh, yeah, I, it, it, Jude knew what he was writing about. I'm just saying. He clearly was writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit because he foresaw guys and gals like her. The spirit realm. And then you came under a mass attack. You came under mass temptation. You fell into sin. Some of you fell into sin. I said some of you fell into sin. What did Samson do? He compromised himself by sharing what he never should have shared. Sometimes it's not that we sin. Oh, he compromised himself more than that way. It's that we share something that we never should have shared with the wrong person and they unleash hell at us, begin to bring to our doorstep all manner of attacks, all manner of backlash that causes us to shrink back and want to close our eyes forever, never to see again. Some people are flowing in this Jezebelic, Delilah kind of spirit and they'll unleash all kinds of hell against you where people will begin to see you through the wrong eyes. And so there's all kind of, I could teach. For so the Delilah spirit is Jezebelic. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Jezebelic in the sense that both are kind of like the inventions of weird kook and crackpots like uh, Jennifer LeClaire. Hours just on the Delilah spirit, which I really think is, is really Typically the same thing as a Jezebel spirit. There's it's another manifestation in, in my experience and in my opinion. I don't know that these are two separate things. For example, Delilah, a spirit of seduction. She seduced uh, Delilah, you know, targeting that that holiness, that prophetic flow, the eyes. You know, Delilah doing the same thing. Jezebel doing the same thing. So we you know, actually, if you read the details, Delilah, her last act um, was cutting off Samson's hair. Yeah, it was the Philistines who she invited in, who after they arrested him and they gouged out his eyes. Delilah herself, she just simply did a shave job and got rid of Samson's hair. So you're not even getting the story right biblically, which means you don't know what you're talking about. I would argue that till Jesus comes back, but right now, want to get with these thing, get these things to you quickly. The three three dangerous traps. There's more than three. Three dangerous traps that can blind seers. The first thing or pollute you or dim you. The first thing is a wrong focus. Yeah, okay. you don't want to have a wrong focus. That, that'll that just dim everything right up. And there's more than three. I'd love to teach on. There's probably, I don't know how many there are, but there's a lot of ways. The first thing is a wrong focus. A wrong focus. Where in the Bible does it say that a wrong focus could cause a Delilah spirit to come gouge your seer eyeballs out? focus. Here's Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, and I'm going to read you a couple... You think that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, is going to be a warning against having a proper focus so that the Delilah spirit won't poke your seer eyeballs out. Really? ...of different versions, because it really drives the point home. Now, there's, there's a lot of different translations of this verse. I'm going to read you the two that really stood out the most to me. The first one is the New Living Translation. And I like that because it's plain. It says, your eye is the is like a lamp. So Jesus is using a what? A metaphor. Your He's not talking about people with the seer anointing, telling them to stay focused so that they don't get their, eye, their seer eyeballs gouged out by a Delilah spirit. Yeah, you just 
read the Sermon on the Mount in context, and Jesus ain't talking about that. I is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Amen. That's a good thing. God is light. Amen. God is love. God is light. So when our eye is healthy, when we take care of our spiritual eyes, when we uh, refuse to look upon things that will pollute us, our eye is healthy and our whole body is filled with light. You want to be filled more with the spirit of God? Stop looking at demonic entertainment. Amen. Stop looking uh, at all of these uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, guard your eye gates. Let me put it that way. Guard your eye gates. Now, Grant, there are plenty of texts that warn us about what we see and what we hear and what we're influenced by. But you just said stay focused in order to prevent us from having a Delilah spirit poke out our seer eyeballs. That ain't what's going on here, and you just totally changed the subject. (sighs) This woman is just a deceiver beyond belief. Your eye is like a lamp. That provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness. And and Jesus ain't talking about a seer anointing here. Deep that darkness is. Now, this is how we get into the realm of false seers. I don't believe seers uh, start out false. I believe that seers... Uh, who are called by God, start off along a path of holiness, but somehow either come up under an attack by a Delilah spirit, uh, essentially a Jezebel spirit, or they don't guard their eye. So they start off well, but then they didn't guard their eye gate. And whoosh, in came the Delilah spirit and just poked out their spiritual peepers. (sighs) Unbelievable. Or they, uh, they begin to chase after idols. And, and, and the Bible says that idols have eyes but cannot see and ears but cannot hear and a mouth that cannot speak. So and, and it says those who uh, serve them or worship them become like them. We, we become. So they worship idols? Oh, in, <laughs> so the big temptation for people with the seer anointing is to. Bow down to the statues of Baal, Asherah, or Molech. Who knew? What we behold. So if our eyes are beholding idols, idols of fame, idols of promotion, idols of... Idols of fame and promotion. Got it. Okay. uh, Whatever. Money. If our eyes are beholding idols, we become like the idols. What are idols? They're blind, deaf, and dumb. How can we have... Yeah, you you can't be... If you want to be a seer, you can't you know, be blind, deaf, and dumb, because the whole point of being a seer is that you see. You see? (sighs) Yeah, there's no way to recover this message, because ain't nothing biblical about this at all. This woman is just literally spewing the ravings of her clearly crazed, crazed, unbalanced mind. This, This is not, this has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. All right, moving along, last but not least, we're still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate umbrella. Uh, Banning Liebscher, yeah, made famous by Jesus Culture. Uh, He, uh, not too long ago, gave a a lecture uh, for uh, the Q Forums, 
And uh, so this is like, you know, the Christianized version of a TED Talk. And the name of his message is Release the Supernatural. And uh, when you're done listening to this, you're going to be convinced that this guy's theology is whack. Because it is whack. And this is the guy who's one of the founders, like the primary guy behind Jesus culture. Here we go. Man, it's so good to be with you guys. I got to tell you how encouraged I am, uh, not just by the people that are on stage, which I've been challenged and inspired, but the fact that you would take time and invest to come and uh, grow as a leader. I am convinced we live in the greatest hour in all of history, and what God is doing around the world is unprecedented. And so as I sit and meet some of you and see the interaction, the engagement you have, I just so encouraged. This is why I so believe that hope is alive. I, I hear a lot of people who are discouraged about the state of the church. I wish they could just come to these type of gatherings and see people that are hungry to make a difference and go after Jesus. So good. I- yeah, by the way, I say this a lot on my podcast, and that is, is that uh, the Great Commission is not go and make a difference. It's make disciples. And there's a specific thing that we are to be doing that Jesus told us to do. If you look at uh, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, which is where you find the Great Commission, Jesus says, go therefore, as you are going, uh, make disciples of all nations. Disciples are learners, by the way, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, which it requires you to teach the entire counsel of the Word of God. That's kind of a recurring drum that I like to beat on here uh, at Fighting for the Faith. But, uh, you know, just so you know that uh, we have a commission, and that's make disciples and to teach everything properly what that Christ taught, not just make a difference in the world. I was saved at four, genuinely saved at four. I remember getting up on my mom's lap, uh, when I was four years old and sitting there and kind of, you know, I prayed the prayer, believed that Jesus was my savior and forgave me for my sins. And I got baptized at five, but you know, I remember kind of swimming out to the pastor because the water was too deep and standing on the milk carton and doing the thing. But it wasn't really until I was 17 where the Lord really grabbed a hold of my heart in a pretty profound way. And I, I surrendered myself fully to Jesus and his cause in the earth. And so as I kind of... In- what is Jesus's cause in the earth? I mean, th- th- that's a phrase that I just have to ask the question, what do you mean by it? 20s, it was a pretty exciting time for me because I was encountering the, the truth and the fact that Jesus has a heart for people. Jesus has a heart for cities and nations, that God has a plan and, and he has a heart for cities and nations. Sounds like NAR dominionism to me transforms and I began to hear words like revival and moves of God and I began to hear stories of what he was doing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Bethel. NAR, narismatic, you know, stuff here that he's describing. In the world, both in history and in the Bible, it became alive to me. And not only did I begin to encounter that, I began to encounter the fact that God wants to use my life to make a difference. That God wants to use my life to change. To make a difference. Okay. It's the world that he wants to use my life to advance his purpose and his cause in the earth. What is his purpose and cause in the earth? You haven't really explained that. 
So I went after that thing, understanding that I have a call in my life and there's a dream that God has put in my heart that I want to engage. And so God has put a dream in your heart that you want to engage. Which biblical text says that God's going to place a dream in your heart? There's no biblical text that says that. So that what I very quickly encountered was this, that the dream that God's put in my heart and the call that he's placed on my life is impossible. It's impossible. It can't actually be done in the natural. That what God has called me to... and what Yeah, this is all just pious, charismatic, nothing talk. Okay, so the proof that this is a dream that God laid on my heart is that it's impossible for me to do it. So it has to be, a, you know, it can only be done supernaturally. Therefore, it must be from God. No biblical text teaches us to expect such a thing or that, that if it's impossible for you to do, that that's proof that God laid it on your heart. God has called you to is impossible. But as I read stories, as I got into scripture and I began to see story after story after story that told me this, this is how God operates. His MO is he puts an impossible dream in our heart that apart from him cannot be done. Yeah, no, that's, this is no way to read scripture, by the way. So you just divine that because certain people had particular callings on their life, you know, maybe like Moses or maybe Jeremiah or somebody like that, right? That somehow this is God's typical MO, that he's going to place a dream or a special calling on your life that's impossible to do in the, in the natural. Yeah, if this was actually what we're to expect, God's word would say this clearly and specifically, but it doesn't. This is a new doctrine that has come along in the last couple of decades, made popular by Rick Warren and the purpose-driven life, which is just an abysmal twisting of Scripture. And note here that uh, Banning just totally buys into all this. He's not basing this on exegesis, but I divine that God's normal M.O. See, the reason why Scripture was written was so I could see that God's going to lay a dream on my heart. No, the uh, the purpose of Scripture is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. One of those stories is in 1 Samuel chapter 14, where the Israelites are engaged in a war with the Philistines as they were under the reign of King Saul. And they weren't engaged on a battlefield at this time, but they were encamped against one another and... The Israelites are on one hill, and there's a three-mile valley, and the Philistines are on the other hill. And Jonathan, the son of Saul, is sitting there one day, and something begins to come alive in his heart, where he just realizes, I'm no longer satisfied with just sitting here. I want to engage the Philistines. I don't just want to look at the Philistines. I just don't want to look at the plan that God has for my nation. I want to engage it. So he doesn't go and get a bunch of the army. He turns to his armor bearer friend and he says, hey, you want to go with me? I'm going to go take on the Philistines, the entire army. And he was just as crazy as Jonathan. So he said, yeah, let's go. And so they start this three-mile journey to get to the Philistines' hill. And as they're walking, they have no strategy. So they begin to come up with a strategy. And they say, what are we going to do? And he says, well, I think the Lord can say by many or by few. So here's the plan. When I get up to the hill... I'm going to, if, if they say, wait, we're going to come down to you. God hasn't given them to us, but if they call us up, then God's given them to us. Sure enough, they go and they stand there and the Philistines who don't take them serious and are joking and laughing say, Hey, come up here. 
And Jonathan knew he's given us the Philistines and they walk, they, they get on their hands and knees, put their swords behind them and they crawl up on their hands and knees to the top. And when they get there, God shows up with them. The, the Bible actually says that the earth begins to tremble and it begins to shake and they defeat this group of people in the army and it ignites courage and rallies the rest of Israel to come. Well, actually, God is the one who won that victory and defeat the Philistines. We're all in this room right now because we've had a similar moment in our life. We're in this room. No, no I assure you, I've never attacked a Philistine garrison with only an armor bearer. It's you know, no, in fact, I haven't even been to the Holy Land. So no, I haven't had a similar experience, like not even close. Now, because there comes a moment in your life where your heart becomes alive and you begin to realize I am not content or satisfied to sit any longer. You mean like that moment where I realized that heresy and false teaching and twisting of God's word was at an all-time high and getting worse and and it was guys like you that were responsible for that, that I had to get involved and you know, start a podcast and a radio station and a YouTube channel in order to warn the world. Oh, is that what you mean? I want to engage what God has called me to. I want to engage the dreams that he's put on my heart. I want to engage the cause of Christ in the nations. I see injustice being done and I see unrighteousness reigning and I, I want to go engage these things. We've heard. Yeah, by the way, uh, showing justice for the widow or the oppressed or the poor I don't need a dream put on my heart. I just need to read the Bible. God's Word explicitly talks about mercy and justice and doing good for those who are incapable of defending themselves or caring for themselves financially. I don't need a dream or a vision. I just need the written Word of God to do that. About them all day long. This is what begins to happen. This is why you're here, because God's begun to stir something in your heart. But as you begin to pursue this thing, here's what we find very quickly. It's got, it's impossible. See, you see, that's you're gonna find out that whatever the street, it's impossible. Uh huh. Yeah. And and yet, you know, I I think of texts that guys like this kind of despise. You know, I think of Ephesians five. You know, if you want to know what a good work is, read like the tail end of the epistles. Read the back end of Romans. Uh, read the back end of Ephesians, you know, where it speaks against, you know, sexual immorality and foolish talk and not letting anyone deceive you with empty words, you know, because of people who are idolaters or covetous or sexually immoral. And then how we're to walk as children of the light and take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, you know, things like that. And then, of course, you know, look carefully then how you walk. Uh, peripateho pateo here in the Greek is, uh, you know, a crossover from a Hebrew concept, from the a Hebrew word halach, how you walk or conduct your life. So look carefully how then you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best time because the days are evil. And then here's the list of good works. Are you ready? It's kind of ordinary stuff. Are you ready? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church, gave himself up for her, 
so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You know, things like that. And then, you know, going into uh, chapter 6, uh, children, obey your parents. Uh-huh. Honor your father and mother. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. And, and you know, people who own slaves or, or masters don't uh, do the same. Stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You know, things like that. I mean, sounds kind of ordinary, you know, being a good dad, being a good mom, being a good husband, being a good wife. Good employee. You know, I don't need a direct dream to place on my heart. And you know what? All of this sounds insanely doable. Yeah, and yet these are the very good works that Christians are called to do. I don't know what this guy is talking about. The Christian life is a life of impossibilities. Choosing to be a leader in the kingdom comes with a life of impossibilities. The dream that God places in your heart is impossible in the natural. The call- yeah, nowhere in Scripture am I told that God's going to place a dream in my heart. Not one place. All that he's placed on your life. In the natural. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how much money you have, how much experience you have. I don't care how many people are with you. The call remains impossible on our lives. And this is what we know from reading scripture is this is exactly where God wants you. This is exactly where he loves you. Again, I don't know what you're talking about. You're narcissizing historical narratives and ignoring the clear didactic texts, which are teaching texts in the epistles that lay out what our good works are. You know, I'm, I don't have a special calling on my life like Gideon or Moses or Jeremiah or, you know, any of those guys at all. No, I, I, I'm called to make disciples, you know, teach all that Christ has commanded, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that Christ has commanded. That's, Pretty easy to do because it's a fixed body of work. It's called the Bible. Are you familiar with it? I mean, here's the thing. The good works that we're called to do are explicitly laid out in Scripture, and they're, like, insanely doable. I Again, I have no idea what you're filling these people's heads with, but sounds like complete delusions of grandeur, and you're, you're steering them away from the good works that Christ has prepared in advance for us to do. Because the impossible call that's on your life will require from you faith. This is the big one. We No, I, my faith is in Christ. Yeah. I trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins, eternal life, for my daily bread. You know, th- things like that. Faith, faith is what's required to live the Christian life. I, I would say this if any Christians were in this room. Faith is what's required out of you if you're going to live the Christian life. But especially as leaders in the kingdom, faith is what's required from us. Faith absolutely moves mountains. Faith makes impossible things possible. But it is not faith in human activity. It is faith in a supernatural God who loves to intervene. It is faith in a supernatural God, in a gospel of power. Yeah, by the way, I I believe God is capable of supernatural stuff. I mean, he created the world in six days, spoke it into existence. Jesus walked on the water, raised from the grave on the third day after he was 
crucified. No problem with the fact that God has the power to do all kinds of stuff. But again, trusting God that he's going to give me power to fulfill the dream density thingy that he sticks on my heart, uh, that's not faith that's actually founded on any promise that God has given me. That's faith that is misguided and misfocused because no scripture says I'm supposed to expect that God's going to lay a dream on my heart so I can make a difference in the world. That comes and transforms lives and societies. This lives is... and societies. This guy sounds like a seven mountainer to me. Yeah, sounds like an NAR seven mountain dominionist guy. We know this is why Paul, when he's writing the Corinthians, he tells him, he says, he says, when I came to you, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, because I want your faith not to rest on human wisdom. I want your faith to rest on the power of God. Yeah, that's because he was an apostle. Yeah. And a little bit of a note here, you know, a couple of passages of scripture will help us here. Uh, for instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, specifically verse 12, I think will be very helpful here, uh, where Paul, writing uh, you know, against the so-called super apostles, uh, he's being a little foolish in his writing he, on purpose to make a point. He says this, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commanded by you, commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these so-called super apostles, even though I am nothing. Now, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Note here the mighty works that Paul did. They were signs that he's an apostle. Uh-huh. That's right. So the demonstration with power accompanied him to show that he was actually speaking as one who was authorized to speak on behalf of Christ, because that's he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who sent him. And then you think of like Hebrews chapter 2, uh, and uh, Hebrews chapter 2 kind of makes this point very clearly. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. This is talking about the Mosaic Covenant. How shall we escape if we, we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, talking about the eyewitnesses. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Yeah, so the uh, the purpose of the sign gifts that we read that the Apostle Paul operated in, that Peter operated in, and the other apostles was that that God was attesting to them that he you know attesting to the people who were listening to them that uh, these apostles were sent you know by God, and we still have their message today and their teaching and their preaching and their admonitions and their warnings in the New Testament texts, you know. And so they were attested by signs and wonders to validate their apostolic ministry. Paul was not saying that, uh, and so f- moving forward, uh, the, the, the gospel must be demonstrated with, with signs and wonders. Not at all. That's a complete twisting of God's word, which we would expect from an NAR charismatic type like Banning Liebscher. This is the tension that we experience as leaders in the kingdom. 
This is the tension we experience, is that, is that we are called to strategize and we are called to plan and we are called to organize. We're called to do all of that. We're called to do it well. But our confidence and our faith does not rest in our ability to strategize. It does not rest in our ability to organize or plan. Our confidence and faith has nothing to do with our ability or nothing to do with our wisdom. It solely rests on the spirit and the power of God. Because what we know is this. If we want to see the supernatural working of God in our life, then we have to come to a point where we realize it is only the power of God that transforms. If we want to see the supernatural power of God, then we've got to. Which biblical text says that if I want to see the supernatural power of God working, then I have to do those things? You just created a doctrine and a stipulation that God's word doesn't make. It's only the power of God that transforms. He alone can change hearts. He alone can transform societies. He alone can bridge divides and heal wounds. This is what he does. About six years ago, I had a, a, a young man, a 25-year-old, write me from a prison in Texas. He was serving a 15-year sentence, and he wrote me. He had, written, he had read one of my books, and he wrote me, and I, I wrote him back and, and uh, sent him a bunch of books and found a pastor to meet with him. And we began this exchange of letters, and he began to tell me about what God was doing in this prison. Most of the men that he was serving with, uh, serving a sentence with, were, were in there for multiple life sentences, had been in for 20, 30 years. Some of them, some of the guys weren't coming up for parole until 2045. But he was writing about how God was taking these men, some who were so violent, so angry, so hurting and broken that they spent 13 years in solitary confinement, 23 hours a day in a five by eight cell. They could come out one hour a day in kind of another room and then they'd go back in 13 years because they couldn't be in general population because they were so angry and violent. He began to write these stories of these men and how God had grabbed a hold of their heart and changed them. And, and, and I, was so, I was so provoked by this. I thought, I have to go, I've got to go meet these guys. So a couple years after we were exchanging letters, I, I flew out to Texas and went into this prison. And one of the most profound experiences I've ever had, top three experience of my life, where I walked in and for just a few hours, I didn't, I didn't teach, I didn't do anything. I literally just sat for a few hours and just one-on-one heard the stories of what God had done in these men's lives. Some of the most horrific stories you can ever imagine. Some of the most uh, previously broken, angry individuals. Many will never get out serving. So how does this experience prove that God's going to lay a dream on my heart that's impossible unless I, you know, unless God supernaturally makes it happen and, and that I have to have faith in order to activate uh, God so that he'll show up miraculously in my life, which is pretty much what you've taught so far. Multiple life sentences. And I just sat there and heard story after story about how God had taken it and to see the hope in their eyes and the love in their eyes and the joy in their eyes. Unbelievable. I sat there with two men who were literally hugging on each other with their arm over their shoulder and their neck and telling each other's story and bragging each other. They began to share. One of them was an African-American man who was a former leader in the Crips. Had joined the Crips, had been initiated as a teenager. He's in his 40s now, been in prison for over 20 years. And he was standing next to a Caucasian man who was a former Aryan Brotherhood hitman. 
And they were, they were, they were, it was the most profound thing. I just sat there and they were sharing each other's story and worshiping Jesus together. I believed in Jesus before I walked in that prison. I left believing in Jesus even more. I don't know how to describe it. And I thought, nobody can transform hearts like that. Nobody has the Now it's true that Christ, through the means of grace, he regenerates us. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, and you'll know that love, you know, you can't love if you're by yourself. You have to love somebody, and that we are called to love one another. So it's great that that Christ, you know, through the preaching of the gospel— and through the reconciliation that we receive from Christ, then extended to others, has reconciled these people to each other. But that still doesn't actually prove your thesis of this Q-talk. Power to change hearts at that level. There is no amount of human activity that we could ever put into. There's no amount of counseling or anything that could go into to change and transform a heart at that level. To bring hope in the midst of hopelessness. To bring peace in the midst of no peace. In the midst of anger and violence. It was so profound. But this is, this is the stories we hear about again and again. The turn of the century in 1904 in Wales and in 1906 in L.A. at the Azusa Street. These are stories. Yeah, the Welsh revival in Azusa Street, they are not revivals of biblical Christianity. Uh, those were full-blown revivals of false teaching and false doctrine related to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and the damage that they've done in the church and continue to do is uh, immeasurable, is the best way I could put it. Yeah, so that still doesn't prove your thesis uh, that uh, somehow God's going to lay an impossible dream on my heart because that's apparently God's M.O. And uh, and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. And, of course, if I want to see miracles, then I have to do certain things. Nope, Scripture doesn't teach any of this. In fact, banning Liebscher literally sounds like a complete N.A.R., Dominionist and uh, in his theology is completely wackerdoodle, not sound at all. Yeah, take your Jesus culture CDs and recordings and get them out of your house. These people have been spiritually compromised, and their doctrine comes through in their music as well. Keep that in mind. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. More story time with Mike Bickle and the late Bob Jones. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some...
are listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Fighting for the faith. We're going to continue where we left off yesterday. As Mike Bickle of IHOP turns the stage over to Bob Jones to regale us with absurd story after absurd story after absurd story while the Bible remains closed. Yeah, that's the best way I can describe it. But let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. This is part two of Visions and Revelations as Mike Bickle turns the stage at IHOP over to Bob Jones, who regales us with stories that sound like they could have been told by Joseph Smith or Muhammad. And the theology that comes through in these things is utterly unbiblical and abysmal. This should tell you something about 
the theological and doctrinal soundness of IHOP. Because this is foundational stuff to their whole movement. Keep that in mind. Let me back off on the music. And without any further ado, here again is Mike Bickle and Bob Jones as we pick up where we left off yesterday. Yeah. And uh, the name of, again, Vision and Revelations, part two. Here we go. Of my early church. And bring them and see that they dwell in the place where they can get the truth. I'm going to bring over a billion souls into myself in the last day. Yeah, that's right. Bob Jones seems to be the uh, wellspring of the so-called Billion Souls Harvest Prophecy. Go back and touch the leaders so they can bring them in. Okay, I got, I got two uh, uh, things to ask you before that. What do you mean, leaders of the early church? That uh, be confusing. That the last day church. Okay, the last day church. Uh, the last day church is being birthed now out of the old church. And... The old leadership is coming to an end. So note the theology here. This is a weird, sinful ecumenicism that he's talking about. So uh, the, the end times church is being birthed out of the old church. And listen to the unity that exists. And doctrine is to- totally gone by the wayside, according to this prophecy. And a new young leadership is being raised up to reign over an end-time church that will bring forth the bride. He's not even dealing with bride yet. He's got to get him a church right so you can get the fruit of the bride. Your children... Yeah, that's right. This The leadership of this end-times church will bring forth the bride, and then Jesus can return. Yeah, this is stuff I heard when I was in the latter reign. My bank accounts, my grandchildren will be the bride. You've got to have the church first and the right foundations. That's what he said. Come back and touch those that'll be the right foundations. Yeah, you've got to have leaders before you can have a church. That's you right. A church before you can have the that other group that's right. full of glory. And so if the church could get a vision of what hell is, it's just as real as heaven. Okay, now that was my second thing. You've only got two or three minutes on the tape. Talk about the guy that you saw in hell and what that did to your heart and then we'll break the tape and come back and say what happened when you came back to your body when the Lord said go back well the Lord told me to go back for souls he's going to bring a billion and I said I'll go back for souls I wouldn't go back for anything else I'll go back for souls at a later date the Lord took me to hell I had warned a young man he was 24 years old he stood about six foot four. He weighed about 235 pounds. And he was as beautiful a specimen of man as you'd ever see. The Lord told me to go warn him because he had left his wife and he was living with an RLDS priest. And, and was he a believer? Uh, he said he was. RLDS, if you don't know what that is, that is the Reformed Latter-day Saints. Uh huh. They're heretics, also. Isn't it interesting? He's claiming all this direct revelation from God, and he can't figure out the obvious. 
that the RLDS is a cult and that, that somebody claiming to be a Christian within the RLDS is lying. They're deceived. Uh, you know, Mormons of any stripe, they're not Christians. And the late Bob Jones couldn't figure that out. Huh? Weird. And yet he's claimed direct revelation from God. And he said he was a believer in the RLDS church. And I went to warn him that he had got into sin and that he should stop it. He said, I'm drinking every night. I'm running around with different women every night. And when I get tired of it, I'm going to go back home. My wife, she's left the RLDS church. She's wasn't joined that crazy bunch you're with. And she's beginning to speak in tongues. I'm going to totally break her. And when I'm tired and want to rest, I'm going to come back and she'll never follow after you again. Or any people like you. And uh, I didn't have any more answer because I'd warned him he was in sin and he's in danger. And he was saying, what could I possibly be in danger of? I'm in perfect health. And so I left, and as I left, I repented. I said, Lord, forgive me. I have failed this vision totally. The Lord spoke to me and said, that'll be his last witness. He's 24 years old. Yep. About nine months later, I read in the paper that this young man all of a sudden had got a cold and had died. Two days later, the Lord come and took me out of the body. And we went down into the, one of the most dreary, dreadful places I've ever been. It was like a place, that, a void, that had no top, bottom, or nothing. You could see it was like black auto smoke. And we went deeper and deeper into the depths. And as we came, I began to hear a voice speak. And the voice would just said over and over, But the doctor said I'd be okay. And that priest said everything was okay with me. And I saw a macrame basket, and it was swinging like this. And the Lord took me in front, and that young man's head was in it. And that's all he was. He didn't have anything to turn his head. And he didn't have anything to see. And he didn't have any hope. And over and over he was repeating what he had just came through and what had been in his mind. It says the worm will never die. And over and over, through all eternity, that young man will say, But that priest said I was okay. And that doctor said it was just a small thing that I'd be made well right away. So he was just swinging in that basket. Yeah. He said that his worm would never die. Not, it's not like he said the word. That means your consciousness. You're eternally conscious forever. Swinging, swinging in that basket. That guy was, was accusing the people that lied to him forever and forever and forever. That's when he began to get a real burden for soul. Yeah, note here that in order to have a real, you know, in order to for the church to get serious about evangelism, we need a real vision of hell no the church has done fine with just what's revealed in scripture uh-huh and note again you know just how much mike bickle totally buys into all of this and so the lord spoke to me and says look at him and i said why have you brought me here lord for you to see his blood is not on you you carried him the message that was all you were meant to do. You warned it. It's August 7th. The Lord said, go back. Bob said, I'm a man that has it made. He says, I'm sending you back for souls. I'm sending you back to touch a little bit of the leadership. Uh, because God's leadership obviously is worldwide. I'm going to let you touch a little portion of it to build faith in Him. Because I'm going to bring a billion souls 
what why did the the lord allow the enemy to touch you like that why did the devil get to come and touch you to kill you have you already have any understanding uh well for one thing i was standing against some real strong powers and i didn't have any intercession behind me and uh uh Another thing, I was totally ignorant, and I was rebuking it out of my faith, but I feel I was without maturity and without a covering and without any covering whatsoever. You know, that just emphasizes the need of being involved in the local body and intercession because, you know, so much happens without covering like that. He was talking to me up there before the meeting about the necessity uh, just uh, some fresh things the Lord gave him just recently about intercession and covering right now and the need to be involved in a body of believers and have intercession. Notice Mike Bickle's claiming to have received fresh revelation regarding intercession. You can't find it in your Bible, but he got this fresh revelation. So, yeah, he and Bob Jones are, are there into fresh revelation, and these are new doctrines, by the way. Going up. Okay, so here you are. You're, you're coming back now. Your body's still in that bed in Independence, Missouri, in that little house, and it's basically dead as far as, I mean, it's not going. So his, his spirit now, he's just confronted the Lord, and he's coming back. Okay, take off now. So I came back in the bedroom, and I looked at that body wrapped in that towel, and that had really hurt when I left it, and I didn't want to go back in. But there were two great angels that stood there, and they were standing there, and their heads were bowed, and they were praying for me, and I didn't know they did that. And there was a black angel behind them that had touched me. And they wouldn't let him touch me no more. And I looked at him. He saw me and he left, the death spirit. And when he left, the two angels, they turned to one another and they began to prophesy to one another. Okay, now I want to get this. So Bob's still in his bedroom, hovering over, looking at his body, looking at the angels. And as he said so many times, he said, Oh, Lord, I'm not going back in that body. I'm not doing it. And so he's still in the spirit, watching all this happen, looking at himself. And he hears these angels talk. And the first angel began to prophesy. And he said, Look, it shall begin in Kansas City. And I looked, and I began to see Arrowhead Stadium, which was called Truman Sports Complex. And uh, the other angel said, Yes, it began on the streets of Kansas City in the beginning. And uh, when Pentecost fell in the Topeka, where I was in the hospital at, a man was prayed for in Topeka, and he came to the streets of Kansas City. And as he was on the streets of Kansas City, his miracle happened in 1900. That's where Pentecost really began. So about 1906. And so, uh, as I watched, those angels said, look, they're coming, and they'll be able to drive to this uh, Truman Sports Complex within an hour from any place in Kansas City. Well, it's really easy for you to do it now, but you already been here in 75. All the streets and everything was tore up, and it'd take you an hour to just get downtown. But when it happened in 77, you could do it. And the other angel said, there shall be 50,000 people that shall meet here out of the denominations. And they shall lift their hands in a unity that has not been seen before unto heaven. 
And as it did, it was like power come out of their hands, and they began to shoot holes in the darkness of the second heaven. And uh, uh, it's like rays of sunlight begin to come down through those holes that those 50,000 people shot in those heavens. And then the, uh, the other angel began to prophesy again and said, yes, that's just a tithe. A tithe. That's 10% of where a half a million of them will meet in agreement for the nation. And uh, then the other angel, he began to prophesy and said, yes. And as they begin there, so will it begin in the heart of this city and in the heartlands. And I looked uh, downtown, and I saw it around 15th and Troost. It was like a great atomic bomb went off. And it was like a great bowl of light was put over that place. And I thought, oh, no, we're going to be bombed with atomic warfare. But the angels, they looked, and as I looked, people were... Uh, uh, people that this light touched would just start to dance and sing and, and twirl. And other people within a block or so of it, it didn't even affect. But I saw this thing, it exploded and went all over the world. And it went at the speed of light all over the world and it affected everybody that way. And the angels began to speak and it shall begin here as a great explosion, a great explosion of light the second atom's light. More powerful than any atomic bomb you'll ever see. And, and he said, as it shall begin in the heartlands, so as it always begins in the heart of a man. And it's beginning in the heart of men this very day. And you're to stay in Kansas City. Because this is where you're to be, and this is where I'll bring the body that you're to touch. And so, uh, in the years to pass, without that word, I would have sure left this town. And the first thing that took place in 77, Truman Sports Complex. So Bob Jones kind of regaling us with, um, you know, the the initial stuff that leads to the Kansas City Prophets. Uh-huh. This is complete cuckoo banana town stuff that we're listening to here. Now, uh, why Truman? Because a man by the name of Harry Truman in 48 agreed with God in Scripture and said that Israel should be a nation. He didn't intend to. It's just he had a Jewish friend, and that Jewish friend got on a plane and went to D.C. in 48. He had been his partner here and had a talk with him, and Harry Truman gave him orders to recognize Israel immediately. And when he did that, God put honor to his name for simply agreeing with Israel's purpose. The Christian church that's been raised up today has two purposes. Salvation. No, it doesn't. The church has one until Jesus returns, and that's to make disciples of all nations. And that would include Israel, who presently is extremely hostile to biblical Christianity. Tough place to evangelize and to preach Christ and him crucified for our sins. In Israel. That's right. 
And the reason that the name Harry Truman will be remembered in the last day church is because he agreed with the purpose of Israel. So the first one took place in 77. There were 50,000 people that come to Arrowhead Stadium. They lifted their hands and many of them I doubt if they even really know what they actually done to the power of the second heaven then. But they started the breakthrough. And with me, as it is with all prophets, when everything that I went to the church the next three days later after that experience, and I prophesied all these Sounds like by this time he's embraced the title of prophet for himself. Things I wanted to repent two weeks later because every one of them hadn't happened. They weren't different now. Uh, the first prophecy didn't even happen for two years. Second prophecy didn't happen for five years. Washington for Jesus, 1980. Paper said there's third of a million people there. And I've been saying for five years it'd be half a million. I got on my knees before the Lord and I said, Lord, where did I miss you at? You told me half a million. The Lord spoke to me and said, who do you believe? The papers remain. I'm going to tell you, there was half a million people in Washington for Jesus. The last of the prophecy, it just now even, a lot of it hasn't come into being. The Spirit of the Lord is just moving now in this town after all those years beginning to bring the body in and the people in that he's going to anoint like an explosion explosion absolutely will now what year do you think this was delivered oh it's just now that god's raising up this end times church it's happening right now well when he said the word now and it was recorded into the microphone that then went to the tape deck that was recording this message the year was 1988. Yep, 30 years ago. This is 30 years ago. I'm in praise. And that praise will go throughout the land. Praise clears the mind and reveals the Shekinah glory of God. And for years we've known... Where in Scripture does it say that praise reveals the Shekinah glory of God? Not familiar with that passage. That the glory would come in praise. To strengthen the body so that we might bring those who are called to salvation in. So I have remained here and have waited. And I spoke. When I came back, I began to speak immediately. I want to tell you something. After the angels quit prophesying, they were two large angels. I didn't know who they are, but I do now. Every time the Lord has used me where somebody say that they had gone on and wasn't in the body anymore, and I prayed for them to come back and were healed. They saw them two big angels. A man once even called them great big nurses. They were two nurses at his resurrection too. They were two great angels at his resurrection. Those resurrection angels are around today and they're getting ready to come to where real ministers of God begin to pray and the power of God will be revealed. So 
I thought, sure, if I had to go back into that body laying on the bed, that I'd be healed. I wasn't. I wasn't healed at all. I had to go back into that thing. And the second I went back into that body, it started hurting just as bad as it had. And it was about 3 o'clock in the evening when I went back in. And I'll tell you, that pain was as bad as the day, as the moment I died. And I was sitting there and I was crying, Help, Lord, you sent me back. Help me. And it was about 4, uh, uh, 35, I heard a, a man and a wife, I know that are pastors, they come in and said, Brother Jones is sick, let's start to pray. And they began to pray for me and I heard their prayers, real clear. And the pain let down. And others began to call and they began to pray. Pain got less and less as they prayed. And about two o'clock that night, the last one that was praying for me quit. And I think, oh boy, here comes hell now. Boy, I'm going to really be in for it. And I heard an alarm go off, and I saw a woman I knew. I just like I was in a room. And she got up, an old woman. She was a widow woman. And she had to work the next day. She had to work Saturday. She worked in the department store. She got up at 2 o'clock and began to pray. And I went to sleep. And she had to quit praying to get ready to go to work at 6 o'clock. And when she quit praying, I woke up. I slept. I knew what power that prayer has got in it. It keeps you alive. So all day they prayed for me. Every time they prayed for me, I got better. People come over and prayed for me. And uh, uh, the minute that things had happened, or the ball games had come on that Saturday, uh, the prayer would go down. My pain would go up. <laughs> and uh, we agreed, some of the pastors is over that evening, we agreed that I'd go to church the next day. So Viola, she got up at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, because it started on a Friday. All day Saturday, I laid there. Many of us had prayed. Saturday night, they prayed for me. And I agreed that I'd go to church Sunday. So at 9 o'clock, she says, Can you get up? We'll go to Sunday school. And I said, I'm worse. I'm swelling up worse. Everything. By the way, when this attacked me, everything from here down quit working. And got as hard as a rock. I have no idea what I was attacked by. And uh, I said, I'm swelling worse. And I turned up the heat pad. And I turned it up as high as I get it to where it blister me. But I'd rather have that heat on that blister to try to ease some of the pain that was in my stomach. And they wouldn't anything ease that pain but intercession. And so at uh, 10.04, I was looking there and I was watching the minutes go by. And it was hell. And at 10.05, there wasn't any warm feeling, any... Anything that I can speak of at all except the greatest feeling I ever had come over me. I felt normal. I was normal. It took three days after that for the poison to pass out of my body, but I was instantly healed, just like that, without any feelings whatsoever. I just felt like it had never happened. I immediately got up and went to church and testified of it. Uh, 
brought all of these prophecies that I've just spoke there this day, brought them through the years uh, at his king. Uh, everything that I saw there has happened except the last of it. There's going to be like a great outpouring, like an atomic blast. There was a movie called The Day After. I saw that thing. It showed Kansas City and Topeka, Kansas being bombed. That was exactly the counterfeit of what I'd seen. I saw the body of Christ coming together in a unity and in a praise like the world has never seen. They saw the destruction coming like I've never seen. I saw the glory coming to destroy the kingdom of darkness like the world has never seen. Okay, I'm going to uh, sum up what happened to him. I've heard so many times, and you can comment a time or two because there's an element or two that he missed. So he comes back from the body. It's August 7, 75, and he just got through prophesying against abortion. You remember that? That's when he started his prophetic ministry in a whole new dimension was, was at that time. So he comes back. He sees the two eight-foot angels talking to one another. They didn't even recognize Bob's presence. I've heard him say it several times. It was like I was eavesdropping on them. The, the big black spirit was behind him trying to get to touch Bob's body again, trying to get at it, but the two angels were guarding it. Bob looks down at his body and says, I'm not going back in that thing again. And uh, then he hears them talking to one another. And, the, and uh, the one angel said to the other, there's going to be a great outpouring of the Spirit of, of God. And then that's when uh, the other angel says, when will it be and where will it start? He said that to him. And then he said, as revival always starts in the heart of a man, so also... I'm going to begin an outpouring in the heart of this nation. And it will be as, as the natural... You'll note, Mike Bickle thinks this is the gospel truth, that this is the word of God, rock solid, ironclad, infallible, just like the Bible itself. ...bread of the earth. You can talk about that in a second. I'll just leave that with you. He says the 500-mile radius, so also spiritual bread will come. Now, it's important to get a perspective on this because it is not the end-time movement that begins in Kansas City. It is a stream of the end-time movement. Amen. Big difference. Because there's, there's going to be a number of movements. I don't mean hundreds, but uh, I don't know what the number is. Uh, John Paul says the Lord told him there's going to be 12 major streams Amen. that are going to begin in America. We don't know about the ones beginning other places. 12 major streams that will begin in America that will touch the nations of the earth. And, uh, tw and, the, and a major stream is in reference to the number of people it touches. It's, it's talking about in terms of size. And what Bob, uh, the Lord was telling Bob is not the move of God in the earth would start in Kansas City, but there would be a stream that would begin in the heart of the nation, a movement. And he began to talk to him, and he said, I'm going to make you a seer for that movement. Although Bob has been a seer for other groups as well, but his primary calling was to be a seer for the movement that would begin in the heart of the nation and the Lord gave him 12 signs that would verify the truth of that. And those 12 signs would happen in the natural so that the truth of the outpouring in the Spirit, he could believe it. The first sign, he said 50,000 will gather, and that was the Arrowhead Stadium, uh, the uh, charismatic or Catholic thing in 77. He said after that it won't be 50,000, it'll be 500,000 in the nation's capital. 
He said, for this move that begins in this city will touch the nation as well. And that will be a sign. You'll see, uh, you'll see a gathering in here in the city and one in the capital which speaks of the nation. And that only was in reference to this particular movement because a number of other movements will start in that city and touch the nation as well. And I'm sure they have visions about Washington, D.C., which are representative of the nation, not that city, most more times than not. And so he gave him 12 different signs. One was Mount St. Helen erupting. He began to talk to him about that. So Bob goes back into his body. Three days, he's not healed. He's in agonizing pain, which he couldn't understand why. He gets healed, goes to church Sunday. He gets up and says, 50,000 people are going to gather in Truman Sports Complex. That's Arrowhead Stadium. It was named after Truman. 50,000 are gathering. And the little church he was at said, what? Because he thought it was going to happen immediately. He says, then right after that, there will be 500,000 in the nation. And they said, what? And, you know, a couple of years go by, and uh, they don't understand it because it's five years later before that ever happens in the Washington for Jesus. Now, though God had many reasons for the Washington for Jesus, he was using that event, just using it as a confirmation to Bob. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I mean, the whole experience wasn't for this purpose, but it was to be a sign to him because the Lord was showing him the future. And he said, I'm going to show you 12 signs. One was Mount St. Helen. He began to talk about a, a great volcano erupting, and it never happened for a few years. And the people began to call him a false prophet because he didn't know there was time lags in the things that he saw. And he was telling everybody, going around saying everything. And uh, let me say again that there is a movement, one of, of, John Paul says, 12, a major movement that is going to begin in this city. There's 12, there's 11 others. Now, I'm assuming the John Paul he's referring to is the late John Paul Jones. If the number 12 is right, I mean, he's the only one that's had it. We haven't had that number 12 confirmed by revelation, but it sounds like a good number. I like it. But, you know, I, but, uh, I think that the sense of it's true, although we're waiting because it says let every fact be confirmed by two witnesses. We're waiting for a confirmation of that before we speak it adamantly. But there will be also a, a number of minor movements, significant but minor because they'll only affect maybe 10 or 20 or 30,000 people. Major movements will touch tens of millions. And he said you will see a movement in the heart of this nation that will be have a global outreach of the glory of God. And then he showed him the, uh, the exact picture of what was to take place on TV on the day after when the bomb hit two places, Kansas City and Washington, D.C. is the two places the bomb hit. Exactly like his vision. And the white light that went radiating through the city in the spirit was the exact picture of the white light on the television screen. I remember where I was at uh, and watching this with a group of people. And I got up and I went and talked to Bob afterwards. Called him on the phone. I said, Bob, was that what you saw? Because when that white light went radiating on that TV screen, and most uh, people saw it, the ratings afterwards says that it was the most watched TV show in history up to that point in time. And so I'm sure most of you saw that because it was so advertised. And that 10 to 15 second scene where the white light went right through the city, Bob said that's exactly the vision I saw right in front of me was that white light. He goes, it was exactly that vision. He said it's the Lord speaking in the natural though they don't understand it, though it's a counterfeit because the Lord means it for good and they showed it for evil. And then the second bomb was the one in Washington, D.C., and which was, was paralleled his vision so much. The thing that I found interesting about that vision is how he said that white light went radiating through the city, and the people that it would touch would be filled with the glory. All this focus on the ravings of a guy who spent time in an insane asylum admitted that he was um, 
a drunk. And, um, yeah, he's quite the teller of tall tales. And the theology in this thing already contradicts Scripture. And, boy, what a mess this whole thing is. And, like I said, Mike Bickle just is slurping this up. He thinks this is rock-solid word of God that we're hearing here. No, we're not. God, and they would dance. And, you know, the dance was was, uh, spoke of at that point in time in that vision. But they'd be filled with glory. But he said the thing he couldn't understand is how that white light filled the city, but thousands of people, even in the midst of an explosion in the spirit, did not even know a move of God was going on in the city. That thousands were going on about their business, and that someone would say, what do you think about the things happening in the spirit? They'd say, we don't even know there's white light in the city. We, the, you mean, what do you mean, the spirit of God in the city? And he said it was uh, really uh, confusing to him that something that explosive could happen, and people in the city not even know about it. And that it was, I don't know, I understand that fully. So this was a reference concerning this movement that the Lord's talked to us so many times about. Because the great thing that, uh, that the Lord sent Bob to do was to get us to believe in a movement that would have a global dimension. In our desire to have faith for that movement, He never ever wanted us to think that this movement was the movement. Big difference. It's not the movement. According, I said to John Paul again, there's 11 other movements that will be just as mighty that will touch the earth in terms of numbers. And the Lord told Bob we were to cross-pollinate with those movements. We were to serve them. They would serve us. And that the movement that we were responsible to be involved in would begin in Kansas City, but it would touch many, many cities in America. Many cities would accept the promises of this movement because God ordained them for those cities, though it began in this city, and many nations would come under the promise and the anointing of this movement. And uh, so that's just to give you a little perspective. Now talk about the, uh, the 500 miles and the natural uh, you know, food and stuff like that. Uh, in this vision, this heartland vision, this city here that I was to remain in would become a shipping point. And it would ship the Word of God with the, the natural bread of God and the natural grain. It would be a place of releasing natural grain uh, to all over the world with the spiritual bread or the spiritual grain. Both was to go. But there would be a natural uh, release of natural grain at the time that explosion would come because great famines would be on the world. In Kansas City, in the area around here within a 500-mile radius would have rain. And it would be a time of great weather pattern changes. And this would be a grain center. And we would be feeding people as we gave them the words of life too. And both things were to leave here. And I saw that within a 500-mile radius, and I've, I know of... of looked at it and have heard people tell me this, that most of the surplus food that's grown in the world today is grown in a 500 mile radius of where you sit right now. I have asked the Lord many times how this could be, and the Lord is saying this word to me over and over, it will be because those that pray will receive. And those who don't, won't. Prayer and intercession will begin 
to release reigns and mercy and grace. And therefore he's raising up his people to pray so that the rains will come. And therefore he's going to have rain within a 500 mile radius of here just because the body of Christ will mature to that place to where they can ask and believe and receive. Uh, yeah, this definitely has not happened. False prophecy here. So the natural bread and the spiritual bread will go out because this shall be the heartland. This is really pretty close to the heart of the United States. But that light when it came, I saw it explode here in this city. But it went at the speed of light up throughout the whole world. Well, if you want to know about how long that would take for it to go around the whole world, just blink your eyes. Pretty quick. And that's how quick. When it comes and the Lord moves in the grace, it's worldwide. So now the angel's talking. Now they're talking to each other. So he here, here's these 12, which we haven't told you the other ones. But uh, we just told you two or three about the Mount St. Helen, the two, uh, the Washington, Washington for Jesus, the stadium filled, the grain. He's talking about the worldwide famine that was going to be coming in the days ahead, in the 90s, after the turn of the century, and that the intercession that God would see. Worldwide famine in the 90s. Don't recall surviving that. Do it. That the Lord would set his heart to raise up intercessors in the heartlands of America, this 500-mile radius. He said that the Lord would begin to train them even in the early days. That's why we cannot despise this hard early days of, of, uh, of, of faithfulness Amen. and intercession because the mature intercession will only come to those that were faithful before the anointing and intercession. Amen. And so that's very important that in this region, not that it, God won't do intercession in other places, but He promised Him... He didn't say that he wouldn't raise up intercession like that other places, but he promised him he would do it here. So it was a statement of what he would do here, not what he wouldn't do other places. Bob doesn't know what God will do in many places. The Lord doesn't tell him. He says, in essence, none of your business. You're called here. I'll tell the prophets there what I'll do there. So Amen. don't receive that as a word of limitation in other places. Amen. And so the intercession has to come forth. The Lord said he would see to it that intercessors would be trained in faithfulness. And that's, you know, a lot of us understand that. Yeah, listen to the urgency here in uh, Mike Bickle's voice regarding oh, getting intercessors to get ready to protect everybody in Kansas City within a 500-mile radius from the coming global famine that would hit in the 90s. Hmm. Particular call. So the angels are talking, and they tell you about the grain, right? They actually yeah. said that. What were the words they said to you? Or, or to each other. Uh, they were uh, speaking about that it must always begin in the heart of a man. When one man begins to agree with God, like Joseph did in Egypt, that's the heart of a man beginning to agree with God. But where that man is, it's begin in that city. Yeah, so apparently these things require the heart of a man to agree with God in order for things to happen. That's not a biblical doctrine at all. For that man will become the heart of that city. And that city will be uh, uh, shook with that man's vision because he will have the vision of God for that city. So the Lord began to deal in the hearts of men that he was going to call then. 
and begin to move to bring those men so he could begin to raise them up. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that it takes years for the Lord to wear down a good minister. He starts in such strength and such zeal. He's a great big blob of diamond. When the Lord gets through with him, he's just a little bitty shiny stone. And that's when he's ready to use him. And so the Lord started wearing his men down then so he could get them to where they'd be ready for him in this time. Okay, so, so 75 then is when Bob got his first uh, dramatic promise of this, this, this spirit experience outside of his body watching, hearing these two angels give a promise about the future of what would begin in this city that would touch many cities. He said the promises were not for the city, but it was for a team that would go to many, many places. The promises would reach every place that the team reached, which is true of every other movement. Wherever that movement goes, the promises of that movement go with it. Amen. He said, but the Lord ordained, out of sovereignty, and he related it to, to Harry S. Truman and his favor towards Israel. He said, because of Harry S. Truman, I've chosen this city for a particular task, just like he's chosen other cities for other reasons that we don't know about. But God always has a reason for choosing a city in a special way. Okay. Uh, I was also told that I was to stand behind the movement not in front of it, that I'd never be leadership, but just an advisor and a watcher. And the Lord told you that himself. Yeah. He said he'd rule from the backyard. He'd minister from the backyard to keep the leadership in faith. Yep. Okay, now, you're, I, I want to go to the, uh, to the next thing here. Bob's involved in a specific uh, uh, gathering of believers just down the way, and uh, begin to tell what happened when the Lord then gave you the promise of a group that would come. And the reason we're sharing this with you is because these are your promises. All of you that are out here, which is the majority that are related to this purpose and this team, regardless what location you're... So IHOP thinks that these are promises from God specific for them and their movement. And in the mix of all of this are, is clear false doctrine, twisting of Scripture, inability to discern that the uh, RLDS is a cult, and false prophecies that did not take place, that did not happen. And the Lord made it clear, it's not a Kansas City issue. It's a birthing place that I chose geographically, but it's a team issue that will reach many, many places. Yeah. So he began to tell him about a group of young people that he would bring from around the nation together into unity. So tell him the early days of how that happened. Uh, Val and I were involved in a church and uh, 76, and we were involved with the youth leaders, and we even gave them a, a, quite a bit of land on the Lake Ozarks. We had a youth camp there, and uh, there was a movement of the spirit with the youth. But also, there was a pull of the youth into immorality and drugs and, and alcohol, and the Lord would tell me what they were doing. Not to warn them, and it got dangerous. And still they wouldn't turn from it. So I went and warned a couple of the youth leaders twice that I, Paul and I, we dearly loved them. They were like our son and our daughter. And I warned them, but uh, they really got upset the last time I warned them. And uh, two days later, they were both dead. They were, I warned them about motorcycle. 
And they were killed on a motorcycle two days later. Because and they were in sin. Is, is why, why it was. It wasn't that the enemy could just take them, but he warned the enemy was seeking to take them. And they said, forget it, we're not getting rid of our sin. And uh, that motorcycle was part of the sin. And so they were killed. And even in the funeral, I brought another word that kept coming. And that was that uh, I'd heard the church brag just before that, ten years we haven't had a death. Oh, don't get into pride or brag. Man, you open the door to the devil every time. Uh, as they were burying them, the Lord told me, this isn't the last. And they'll be young people. They won't be old. Well, the next day, we got a call from another young man that was in the Navy. And he'd went to Swope Park with a couple of black Muslims. And he got drunk and he tried to swim in the lagoon out there and he drowned. Uh, two or three days later, a man ran off the road and was killed. And these were young family men. They just died one after another. And uh, the women of the church began to look at me and said, Don't let him look at your husband. A man can curse you and you'll die. So always all kind of stuff that started going on. And I got so depressed because the young ones are dying. And what bothered me the most is, Paul and I, we had some blood kin in there too. And, you know, you'd think that would scare hell out of them, but it didn't. They started running to drugs and alcohol to forget it. And they went into immorality, and some of them has never come back to the Lord since then. So uh, seven young people under 30 died in a six-week period. And Bob had given himself fully to this group, and he was so depressed because the group rejected him. And uh, then he called in uh, some sin in the leadership about immorality, and they threw him out of the church. They said, we don't want you here again. And they cast him out, and, the, the, and within weeks, the immorality in the leadership took place, and the people left and left their spouses, took money from the church. So Bob was, saw seven young people under 30 die in six weeks. They said, you cursed them. You're the one that cursed the leadership. Get out of here. And so Bob, brokenhearted and Viola, drew back to the church because they were kicked out of it and said, Lord... Is there any future? Is there anything we can do? And what, you know, how are we to view this? They were sick at heart for months and months. And uh, I just went to bed and turned my uh, face to the wall. And said, Lord, you told me. But they're getting worse. And they've left the church now. And the Lord then began to speak to me and said, Bob, even as written upon your forehead, I'm written the golden mitre up on your forehead. I didn't understand it then. But the golden mitre is typical of the writing of the Lord on your forehead that says, Holiness unto the Lord. Even if I've written upon your head, there's coming an army. And they'll be a young group. And you'll be old and white-headed when they come. Now this was in 76, right? Yeah. And they'll want you to go to war with them. And you'll feel you're too old then, but you won't be. These are those that won't be killed by any natural catastrophe or natural atomic bomb. Neither will they be killed in sin. You can tell them that from the beginning. And I saw them, and they came, and they were all young soldiers. And they were all, uh, uh, all of them at first was under 30. And they're women were soldiers just like they. And they came, and, and the Lord says, they'll be faithful to me. They will not back up on me. 
neither will they sin. They'll be the real thing and they'll come if you'll just uh, turn your face from the wall and believe. I'll bring it to pass. So through the years he began to speak these things many times to me. Uh, the anointing increased when me and Viola, we went to another church. The anointing increased immediately. Signs and wonders did too. And then all of a sudden the Lord said to me, Bob, you're going to some of the churches and you're building things that I'm not in. I want you to lay the anointing down and I want you to go home and pray. And I said, boy, I've never heard of that one before, Lord, but I know what you spoke to me. Lay the anointing down. How does one lay down an anointing? There comes a time that even you must be willing to lay down the anointing, the miracle-working anointing. Yeah, how, how does one do that exactly? Can you just kind of leave it over in a corner in your house? If the Lord asked for it, Vola and I did. And we were quiet for about three years, and he'd speak these things to us. In that time, he'd keep talking to me about crazy things, about, oh, I mean, he'd speak to me audibly that I knew it was the Lord that spoke. And he'd tell me to write it down like, when Major General Alexander comes, I'll be calling my officers of my army together. And I thought for sure we would find out who General Alexander is now, and so... He was a military officer I knew, and I just went and asked him to check the Pentagon, and he did. And he wasn't no Major General Alexander in our armies. Not yet. <laughs> and so I would go back and i think, Lord, why are you telling me all these things? Why don't you quit telling me? Tell me something I can understand. And then he'd speak uh, the certain characteristics of that the army would be. And so I would go to church and I would tell them, I'll be with you for a while and happy, but there'll be a group come. And when they come, I'm going to join them. Okay, okay I'm going to step back a second. Uh, because I, I heard this so much in 83 and 84 uh, that, you know, it so impacted me. Uh, just the emotion of, of what Bob and Viola went through that they saw for a number of years Bob says 50 to 100 visions of this, this army that was going to be coming, that would be planted in many places across America. But the, the beginning of the army would come and begin in Kansas City. Yes. And he said the army would not all be young people, but it would be, the majority of them would be young people. So he saw it as young people's army. Though he had a number of choice servants, one that he saved here and one that he saved there, that, that were older men and women. And so don't give, get an overbalance on that. But he saw just multitudes of young ones. Yes. And so he saw it as a young people's army, but it was not exclusively young people. But he saw the majority of them were young people. But there were a number that he had hidden for this day. And uh, the Lord said, Bob, he was so depressed. He said, there's a group of young people coming. And this was so, it's, it's always touched me so deeply. He said, they will not reject me. And you can tell that them from the beginning. You can tell them that from the beginning. And he says, and Bob, they will never ever reject you. He says, this group rejected me and came into judgment, and they rejected you. But he said, be patient, for I will raise up a family that will never... So rejecting Bob Jones ends up with God rejecting you. Consider the implications of that.
So in order to be really in with God and for God to be positively disposed towards you, it's no longer enough for you to believe in Jesus. Nope, you have to also believe that Bob Jones is a true prophet. Because, I mean, look at all those young people who were killed in the other church that Bob was a part of, you see? Yep, so you you don't want to upset God by opposing Bob Jones. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it could have eternal consequences, apparently. Never reject you again. And Bob, was, that, that was his hope, that uh, that would happen through all those years. He said, Lord, where's the family coming? And just dialogue about some of the disappointment and the impatience of, of, of waiting for that. Uh, I never was one that liked to be a church hopper. I like to find a church and sit down and, and uh, move in and become family. I mean, I never did like to go from church to church. And I didn't do it. They had to throw me out. But they did out of plenty of them. And that was really bothered me because I just get in there and, and see the children born and things like this. Fall in love with them. And uh, see the mama to where she couldn't conceive. And the Lord, when I come back from that death experience, he gave me a special anointing, especially with women that had miscarried and things like that because... Of the warfare, and I could pray for those that miscarried and quit miscarrying. There's a lot of sisters in this town that's got babies today that I prayed for. Val and us, we had a precious ministry. And then, boy, you pray to them, and you get to thinking of them like grandkids, and they throw you out. And uh, that was like the whole family throwing you out. And that really got depression. And so the Lord told me, I'll bring you a family that won't throw you out. And so he said, this group won't. You'll be with them all your life. Amen. So, Glory. <laughs> Apparently referring to IHOP. Yeah, the IHOP family. They've embraced Bob Jones. You don't have to worry about the youth being killed by God for rejecting Bob Jones there at IHOP. Yeah, I think you kind of get the gist of these really interesting tall stories. And like I've been pointing out along the way, he's been contradicting Scripture. The Holy Spirit clearly didn't inform him that the RLDS is a cult. If you don't believe in Bob Jones, you know, God's going to oppose you and may kill the youth in your church. You know, strange doctrines like that. And don't forget the false prophecy regarding the worldwide famine. In the 90s. But don't worry, Kansas City would be spared by intercessors. Yeah. So, and Mike Bickle, this is all part of his past. Bob Jones is part of the DNA of the International House of Prayer. Even though he's passed on to receive his reward. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure he will. He, he was re, wit, richly rewarded for all this false prophecy and false doctrine by Christ. <clears throat> yeah, very strange stuff. Just wait till tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I think you'll find it quite fascinating and helpful. <clears throat> yeah, in the midst of all this, God's word was uh, left in the dust. We didn't hear anything about Christ, but man, we sure did hear a lot about the exploits of the prophet Bob Jones. 
So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.